Welcome to Le Rendez-vous. My name is Garance Doré and I'm a writer with so many stories to tell and ideas to share that I created this special moment to talk about all the things that are going on in our lives. So come, let's spend a moment together. Le Rendez-vous is brought to you by Doré, the skincare line I co-created, wanting to bring more simplicity and efficacy to our lives. Check out the end of the episode for a special code just for you, the Rendezvous listeners. I'm so happy when I receive questions from you. This one was about the modalities of therapies I've used in my life. And yeah, I have a few things to share. For a little bit of background, my mother has always been fascinated by therapy to the point where when she turned 50, she became herself a psychoanalyst. Doesn't mean that I was raised in the most healthy family in the world, but it does mean that I had really early access to therapy. That it was part of our language, part of our way to interact with the world. And I think in some interesting way, it was kind of the religion that we didn't have in my family. And I always saw it as something you do almost as a beautiful luxury in life. I always thought, wow, being able to talk to someone about just me, being uninterrupted, receiving interesting feedback has to be one of the most luxurious things one can do. And I still think that to this day, even though now I also understand that sometimes Therapy is not just luxury, it is a true necessity. So let me run you through a few of the therapies I went through. The first one I did was pushed by my mother because she was going through a horrible divorce and the atmosphere in my house was incredibly toxic. And I was an incredibly annoying teenager from what I can remember. Maybe people tell you otherwise, but that's what I remember. I was smoking like a chimney. I was very dark. I was kind of skater goth type of person and said shit to the world all the time. And I think that my mother saw that as distress and she probably was right. So she sent me to this very elegant, refined a very kind therapist. And I remember asking her at the first session, it was such a different time. I asked her, and it was France, okay? And I asked her, can I smoke in here? And she said, yes. And the whole of my therapy was basically me crying and smoking cigarettes in her face. I developed resentment towards her very early on and I started not going to the therapy sessions my mom was paying for. And that's basically where it ended. My theory now is that I projected all the anger that I had towards my mother on her. It took me years and years of therapy to understand how much I hated my mother at that time, but I was just too young to admit it to myself. So instead, I just hated that therapist. And maybe in that way she played a role. But what I would have told you at that time was that this was completely useless. But remember, I was this very annoying teenager. A few years later, 
I was a student and I was going through the most interesting and weirdest of times. I had always had this very privileged relationship with my father and it was starting to take a place in my life that was so big that it felt a little bit unhealthy. I wasn't living in the same city as him and anytime I had him on the phone, I couldn't help myself but crying. I would literally sob and pretend that I was all right. There was something coming up each time I was thinking of him or being with him that was breaking inside of me. I was feeling sad for him. I was feeling like there was, it was like I was going through, I don't know, I don't know. And so because I had this kind of easy access in my head to therapy, the first thing I did was call my mom and say, mom, I'm going through something. I don't know what's going on with dad, but can't help crying. I feel really bad for him. This is eating up at me. I can't focus. Can you give me the full numbers of a few therapists in Aix-en-Provence where I was studying? And she sent me a number of people and I went to see them and hated them all. And so instead, I went on my own to the, I think it was the university council or whatever, where you can have access to free therapy. And I found someone on my own. And I think this was the first sign that something was happening. I think that my mom giving me the number to therapists was the wrong idea. I needed to remove her from the equation. Of course, it was too early for me to understand all the undercurrents of my relationship with my mom. But this was a sign. An interesting detail is that since it was free therapy, I wasn't given much of a choice. Had it been me, I would have preferred a woman therapist, but all they had was a man. My first appointment with this doctor was fabulous. Everything about it. He was this very small guy with a beard and round glasses in his big chair. Everything you can imagine. Literally, I think now when I think of Sigmund Freud, I oppose the face of my therapist on him. And I sat down and he started annoying me right away. He told me that, yes, this place was free therapy, but that therapy needs to be a deal between two people and that he would expect from me a symbolic five euros. Every time I came to see him, the deal was he would listen to me for half an hour and I would pay him and that if I forgot one session, if I didn't come, I still had to pay the money. I got a bit offended because I was like, what is he trying to get from me? But it took a very short time to understand how important this part was paying someone for a service rendered because this person is not a friend it's not a member of the family and i think it's very important to learn very early to invest in our own mental health and that was the first lesson that he taught me another lesson and look it was a long time ago there were millions of them this was probably the most important therapy of my whole lifetime but another lesson he told me that i always talk about because having become somebody important in fashion for a few years this was probably a very formative moment i had always loved fashion but i was in that moment i don't know i was coming to his office dressed horribly literally 
yeah, like students at that time, like I had written my jeans. They were super baggy, super oversized. I was wearing these big sweaters that were like, I think he told me at some point, he's like, are you homeless? What are you looking for? What are you trying to say? He literally told me, when you come to see me, I want you to dress accordingly with respect for me and for this space that we're trying to create together. I think this was one of the most humiliating time I've ever had in a therapy session. But I loved it because it just kicked my ass. It took a little while, but I was, I, I was like, he's right. Look at me. What am I doing? What am I saying about myself? And that taught me a lot about how we present ourselves to this world. The most important lesson that I learned with him was actually not so much in something that he said, but in everything that he was. He was a man with an incredible intellect and culture. He gave me thousands of books to read, and I think I discovered literature through him, which is something that my father didn't have to give me. He gave me understanding. He gave me a sense of masculinity that was strong, yet understanding, yet present. And those are all the things that I'd never gotten from my father. I got other things. I love my father. We had a great relationship. But through this therapist and through the transfer, which I think is what you call, that I did on him, I was able to form in my mind a more complete image of what a man is and what place he can have in my life. He repaired a lot of these holes that I was feeling that my father just didn't give me. And he helped me see that what was going on with my father was that I was growing up and that I was incredibly disappointed in the man that my father was. Now that I look back, I can see that it was just that my love for him was too big. It was my, how do you say, the Oedipus complex, the complex de deep. My father had been the son for me, a figure so important, a love so complete and so perfect that I had never allowed myself to see his flaws. And as I was growing up and they were naturally uncovering to me because he wasn't the perfect man that I thought he was, the sense of a mourning of the relationship we had had as a child to the all-powerful father that she had made him to be was a heartbreak so strong to me that I couldn't have gotten through it without the help of my wonderful therapist. After a while, I moved from the town where I was and I tried to keep seeing him, but it proved to be difficult. And so I went my way. The third one I saw, I went to see because it was a few years later. I was now in a relationship with someone. I was in my late 20s. And everything was going well, except for the panic attacks that I was feeling. I think now that I look back, nothing was going well. And I was just trying to pretend that everything was perfect. My first panic attack was devastating. 
any one of you who've had them have experienced this sensation that you're going to die right now, this second. And when it happened to me, I had no idea what a panic attack was. I had the sense to call a friend and she came to see me and she stayed with me for three hours as I was recovering. And after that, I got so scared that the first thing I did was call a therapist. Because again, for me, this is the first thing you do. If you feel unwell, you see a therapist. I don't remember how I found this one, but that wasn't a great therapy. It was a psychoanalysis. So in that type of therapy, you're lying on a couch. You can't see the therapist. He's behind you. And I think that it's supposed to give you more freedom to speak. And at best, there will be like, mm-hmm, okay, and? So you can feel very lost in this type of therapy. Am I alone? What's going on? Is anybody listening? I think my therapist was just not that great, to be honest. But he was the one I had at that moment, and I couldn't find anyone else, and I just needed to talk. And the second I started seeing him, my panic attacks receded. So I just kept going. I remember moments when I was feeling like he was probably reading the journal behind me. I could hear weird noises and there was always this doubt that he wasn't really here. I remember sessions where he hadn't said anything for the whole half hour. I remember sometimes pressing him for feedback and not receiving anything. So I would say... Maybe the therapy just worked for the mechanical part of having a space just for myself during the week. I think that is a very important part of therapy is this sense of actively dedicating an hour, half an hour to yourself. And it comes also with the idea of paying someone. It's that sense of this is what I'm giving to myself. And I think in this therapy, I was like, well, this is neither bad nor great but it's helping me and it has its place right now in my life. And I accepted it and I think I did it for a year or two until one day I just got bored and left. So it's an interesting lesson, I think, in just thinking, well, sometimes your therapist won't blow your mind like the one before had done for me, but they're here and it helps and my panic attacks didn't come back for a long time. And I thought, if that's all I'm getting, that is very much good enough. The fourth one was in Paris. By that time, I had moved there. And if you've listened to the first episodes of the podcast, I was in the beginning of my blog and I was, um, it was such an interesting moment. And I found this woman, I don't remember how, but she was wonderful. And she reminded me a little bit of my first great therapist. We were sitting, I was not lounging on the sofa, so I was looking at her as I was speaking to her. And what I remember from her is not this type of amazing projection I had done on my therapies that I saw when I was 20. I didn't feel this kind of endless admiration and love for her, but she did help me break so many of my patterns. I can tell you about one that I remember precisely. And I think that will help you see how behind the scenes, how important it is to work on our emotional 
hang-ups on our programming and all the things we believe and how therapies can really help us. I was telling her about my work and how overwhelmed I was and how things were difficult because I had too much work and how this guy had contacted me on Facebook and had offered to be my assistant. He was an American. I didn't know anybody ever that had an assistant. I came from a background where none of my friends had assistants. Nobody, right? I had never seen that. And I think I told her this story jokingly. I was like, you won't believe this. Somebody contacted me and wanted to be my assistant. How ridiculous is that? Me, an illustrator with a blog, like what would I do with that? And it's literally, I think, all my conditioning that was expressing itself through my irony at telling her about this. And her reaction was like, so? Why not? Why wouldn't you hire an assistant? And that's it. I just needed that. I needed a little poke and that little reframing of what I was thinking and a little questioning to be like, well, she's right. Maybe I need an assistant. Maybe I'm worth an assistant. And so she really helped me break a lot of these glass ceilings. And I don't think that I would have been able to grow as I did at that time, hadn't she been there in the background, pushing me in all these little places where I was stifled, where I was still working on the assumptions of who I should be, who I was, where I came from, what was something we do, what was things we don't do. She helped me break these patterns and grow into somebody new and somebody different. It was incredibly, incredibly helpful. She's maybe one of the reasons that I decided one day, I can move to New York. I'm going to do it. And I remember that because at that time, as you know, if you've listened to the podcast before, I met this guy and he was living in New York. And the project was to go meet him in New York. And at the very beginning of our relationship, we broke up. I've never talked about that because who cares? There was this moment for, I think, a few months where we weren't together. And of course, my first thought was, well, there goes my New York project. Heartbroken, bringing her all the drama in the week, like a dog brings back a bone. There is really something like that with therapy. And that's why to this day, I think it's one of the most beautiful. If you find somebody good, it is a luxury, absolutely, more than any bag and shoes and restaurant that you can pay for yourself. It is the most beautiful present you can offer yourself. And so I was bringing her back the news and my broken heart and my broken projects. And I think she told me, why wouldn't you go to New York? And I told her, you're absolutely right. I don't need to have a boyfriend in New York to go to New York. I can just go. And that's what I did. And then we went back together with the boyfriend. But that's another story. And so she really helped me break many boundaries and impossibles into my own little brain. I still have a lot of these, but I think she helped me see through these patterns. And it's something that I have learned and I kept with myself and that I urge you to do all the time. When you come up with one idea that you haven't even thought about it, the thought comes from behind you, it's stronger than you. Like, of course, I'm not going to do that. Hopefully you have a little voice inside of you that's like, well, why not? Please explain to me. What are your reasons? Write these reasons down 
And then you can actually have a little bit of objective thinking so that it's not just your programming that's speaking. I know I try to do that all the time now and sometimes things are really surprising. Question yourself and turn your thought around like you would turn an object. Look at it from different points of views. Ask yourself how that person that I admire would have done that. Just turn it around until you feel like you're not just speaking from a place of conditioning of what we're supposed to do, of who we're supposed to be. That's one thing that therapy is wonderful for. Well, as you know now, I moved to the US and that was another story for therapy. I'm going to be very honest with you. I have never really understood therapy in the US and I might never actually. It's such a totally different school from the French one. I think French therapy is more rooted in just a classic type of therapy. Whereas what I found in the US was that it was more like coaching. There was much more conversation going. And I never really found what I needed in that way in the US. And I think it's just because I didn't find the right person. It's actually very difficult to do and you have to keep looking and see a lot of people you don't like before you find the right one. And that is actually tedious and I think it discourages a lot of people which I completely understand. There was another thing about therapy in the US. It is so expensive. Oh my god. And I was making money at that time. It wasn't something that was breaking the bank for me but even then I just couldn't believe the prices. Every week making those checks I was like what? But the truth is it was difficult to find a therapist in the US and in the beginning I didn't even have time. I felt like I was doing great and I was just going on with my life. Until my relationship started, uh, how can I say, not being so great. And I remember going for the first time to couples therapy. But at that time, I was still such a child in my heart and I was still behaving so much in the patterns that I had seen in my past, in my family. So when we went to therapy with my boyfriend, I was ridiculous. The only thing I did was try to convince the therapist that the guy I was with was terrible and that I was doing everything right. I think a lot of people do that. And I think that's why going to couples therapy is something you should only do when you're really ready. Because it was probably the most frustrating and humiliating exercise for him. I remember coming out of the therapist with a sense of righteousness and him being so angry at me and telling me, you just literally spent an hour talking shit about me. That's not what we're supposed to do here. And me being all smug. Oh, I just, I'm so annoyed at myself. It's infuriating when you look back and you're like, I was just a horrible person. And of course, I could say something about the therapist not just stopping me and being like, but look at yourself, what are you doing? I think we could have tried a few other therapists before thinking, okay, this is not working, let's just move on. But I also think truly that I already felt the relationship was over and that this was a swan song. 
and it showed exactly why I should move on. I had so many more lessons to learn and life was going to hand them to me and it was going to hurt because really I was horrible at love. But I couldn't see it at that time and that therapist definitely didn't show it to me. So I kept going, not really questioning myself. I tried to do a therapy with a French therapist and that was ridiculous. I hate doing therapy on the phone because I need full privacy and I've never lived with people that are not working from home in one way or another and I find myself curled up in closets so that I'm sure nobody hears me but I still feel like people are listening and I don't feel... I just don't like being in my own home for therapy. It just really has never worked for me. I hope one day it does because I think it's wonderful to have access to that. And if you're able to do it, you're so very lucky because it means that you have access not to just the people you have locally, but the best therapists in the world, potentially, right? And I know so many therapists now that do it through the phone and it works really well. But for me, it's always been very difficult. I love the ritual of getting ready, walking or driving to the therapists, of thinking of my week, of what's been going on. And being in my own home, it just doesn't create the distance that I need to be able to really explore my emotions. One of the things in my life, let's just say the most painful moment of my life, the most difficult, I can't even express it, was the moment when I started going through fertility treatments. Just probably one of the most harrowing time of my existence. I was in my late 30s and it just brought so many things to the surface. My late 30s is actually the time when I dealt with my relationship with my mother. All the things that I had never ever faced truly came back up at the moment when I tried having a child. It's very normal, I think, but we don't talk about that enough. I was so lucky at that time because I had found a wonderful hypnotherapist. So I could do a whole podcast about these sessions and maybe one day I will. What I will say is that this hypnotherapist was able to create the space where I was finally able to unleash the hate that I had for my mother. It all came out through the technique of hypnotherapy. We went back to my youngest years. I saw everything my mother had done wrong. I saw all the pain that I had hidden. I cried tears that I had never seen before, like the oldest, deepest, most profound tears. And I went even further back to my grandmother, to our lineage, to all the suffering that I was carrying with me. We unearthed it and it was fascinating, deep, difficult. But at the same time, the greatest thing with hypnotherapy is that it's contained. It won't last forever. You do five to ten sessions, depending on how many things you have to work on. And then you're done. And it was so beautiful and intense. And being able to finally see the truth about my mother and her imperfections and stopping protecting her from my own criticism 
freed me so profoundly and also allowed me to finally really love her, to finally love her with her flaws. It would take more years because I think the impact that the hypnotherapy had on me would unfold for many years to come. And I also had to go through more fertility treatments and more things came up for me. But this, I could say, was probably the start of a new life for me as a woman. It was a beautiful thing. And that's why hypnotherapy is a modality that I really love and recommend. You just have to find the right one. Again, it always comes down to the people. The thing with hypnotherapy, though, is that because the technique is really important, there are ways to do things, there are ways to come into it, ways to come out of it. You feel more held by that. So it's not as much about the personality of the therapist. The technique is there to hold space for you, if you will. By the way, I decided not to include the names of the therapists here, but I'll happily recommend them through my DMs. And for my hypnotherapist, I also have done an interview with her in my community. If you're ever interested, just let me know and I'll send you the link. By the time I had moved to LA, I was really into the woo-woo stuff and I'm not so proud of myself. I mean, look, I still love the woo-woo stuff. I actually don't think it's very respectful to call the woo-woo stuff the woo-woo stuff. But you understand me when I say it's the woo-woo stuff, so let's just talk about the woo-woo stuff that I went through. The most easy thing to do in LA is to find alternative types of therapies. I was going through this difficult relationship breaks and starts and leaving my career as a fashion influencer and this fertility treatment is just a lot, lot, lot to manage. So I did it all. My friend recommended this person that would talk to angels. Another one got me a card reader. I did so many things. And I think one thing that I remember was that all that it made me feel was to feel very special, very different. And all of them were telling me that I had this kind of supernatural gift, that I was a special person. And I loved hearing that because when you're on your way to depression, when things are not going well in your life, this feels very reassuring. And I feel like sometimes that is the problem with the alternative stuff, unless you find someone that's very straightforward, whether it's astrologers, psychics, tarot readers, they know that you will be satisfied if you're told that you're very special and they won't shy away from telling you. Through them, I started thinking that I could communicate with the universe, angels, whatever. And as I slowly, I didn't know it at the time, but now I look back and I can see it. As I slowly was going down into a deep depression, I was hanging on to all these woo-woo stuff for my dear life. And they were comforting me into this slow spiraling down into a really dark hole. The last one that I saw was a manifestation coach, somebody quite famous, who told me 
probably out of really good intentions and she probably hadn't sensed how deeply, profoundly distressed and depressed I was. And she told me, you won't be able to have a baby if you can't visualize your baby. She said, I encourage you to write a letter every day to your unborn child. And I know how it sounds, but at that time, I thought, this is what I need to do. I'm going to write to my unborn child. And then when I started doing that, it felt so dark and so depressing and so bad. And I felt suddenly that I had cut ties with reality and that I was plunged now into a world that was upside down. This was the straw that broke the camel's back. It, all these things were just too strong a medicine for me. I'm somebody who needs groundedness in reality. I'm, I wasn't strong enough for all that. And it literally broke me. And when I felt this sense of brokenness, of endless depression, of deep dark hole where writing to my unborn child had put me, I had a strong survival instinct and it pushed me up suddenly. And I was like, fuck, I'm completely depressed. This is really bad. I'm going deeper and deeper into this. I need to get out of it. And I radically stopped with all the woo-woo stuff. I broke up with all my sidekicks. I just stopped with the sound bath. I stopped everything. Even yoga was too much for me. And I went to see a psychiatrist and I was like, I am not doing well. And I think that I need antidepressants. I don't know what prompted me to ask for antidepressants. I think I just needed something clear and simple and recognized as serious. And I was just so scared of where these woo-woo paths had taken me. And I also want to say, now that I'm better, I can see how great this world can be and how great some people are in the world of alternative woo-woo-ness, whatever you want, spirituality. I think it's a bit weird to call it spirituality, but you know what I mean. It's just that if you're really fragile, these things can easily break you. So just be careful in the future. Uh, they can break you, but also you can be really attracted to them because they validate you. They tell you you're special. I mean, I ended up thinking I was this kind of priestess of I don't know what, and it can work for some people, but for me, it was a true disaster. So I started seeing this psychiatrist and psychiatrists are not people that you're supposed to see as therapy. So I did a little bit of therapy with him and, and talked with him and he was great and very smart, still the same thing. I didn't feel very challenged by him, but he was following me as psychiatrist. He recommended me to a therapist he was working with and I went to see her. And she kind of confirmed what I had been feeling with a lot of the therapies that I had seen in the last few years. I felt, and I'm sorry about what I'm going to say, okay? It's very pretentious, but I need to be honest. I felt much more intellectually and emotionally developed than my therapist was. She was younger than me, which is fine, but there was this lack of understanding and I felt like many times I was the one teaching her lessons I could see her write in her notebook when I was coming up with concepts and ideas and 
I had to be honest with myself at some point. I was like, well, I'm in my early 40s. I have grown. I've read thousands of books. I have done thousands of hours of therapy. It might be that this person is just not good enough for me. I try to keep that in mind as I was going to see her. I think one day she just told me something so simplistic. And I was like, I can't keep going. And that was my second to last therapist. I just let go. I took care of myself and everything was fine. And two years later, stopped with the antidepressants. You do that very slowly, very carefully and came to a place where I was feeling pretty good. But before I go, I have to tell you about the last therapist I saw. A friend of mine recommended her to me and said, oh, you know, she's a bit different. Her techniques are a little bit different. And at that time I was in New Zealand and she was in France and it was during lockdown and everything was very difficult and very unsettling. And I got over my dislike for telephone therapy and just was like, okay, I think it's important. I know I can be fragile sometimes mental health wise. I'm far away from my world. It's lockdown. There's so many things changing around me. I do probably need somebody to talk to. So I started talking to her and this, oh my God. The first thing she told me was, well, you know, I'm a very different therapist. I'm like a surgeon of emotions. I'm going to get in and cut things out of you. And of course, I should have seen the red flags, but a part of me thought, let's just, let's just try. Maybe, maybe she has something interesting to say. And she told me, you need to write a letter to your mother and tell her everything wrong that she's done. Don't hold off on anything. And I told her, look, as much as I think this kind of work is important, I've done that work with my hypnotherapist 10 years ago. And I'm in a very beautiful relationship with my mother now. We found ourselves as adults and I don't think I need to revisit, but she wouldn't let go. She was like, we need to go deeper. This woman abused you. And I told her, I don't think she abused me. I think she made mistakes like every mother and really I'm at peace with her. And she just kept going. You won't be able to have children if you don't work on these relationships. And I think that by this time, I had grown into a real adult. I was able to see when something wasn't for me, to not bow to the sense of authority, to see when someone, even with a lot of credentials, was talking nonsense to me. I had clear boundaries and I realized that most of the work was done. I had worked on my relationship with my father, my relationship with my mother, my own relationship to motherhood or non-motherhood in that case. And I was quite well. And if the world was difficult at that moment, I didn't need someone to come in and cut my emotions open. I was feeling pretty whole. And it was a beautiful thing. And of course, I would love to find a therapist just for the luxury and the pleasure of having somebody to talk to every week or every other week about my life. If I ever do, I'll be so happy. But that this person was really not for me. I had grown. I knew what I needed and I knew what I didn't need. 
And I think that's one of the most beautiful results of all these years of therapies that I have done is to know that I am the real authority of my life, is to know that I know better than anyone what's good for myself. All these years slowly taught me these things from the horrible therapies to the great ones, from the psychics to the astrologers. All these people were there to show me who I was, whether it's through really, truly, deeply helping me or whether it was through shocking me into having to say, no, I don't want that. I don't want anybody to play surgeon with my emotions. And that's what I told that last therapist. And I felt really happy the day I hung up the phone. I hope that you find people around you that are able to support you in your life. I hope that through this episode of Le Rendezvous, you were able to see that Things don't have to be perfect to bring you closer to yourself. A bad therapy that you say no to can be as good and as formative as a great one that changes your life. It's all about what you learn through your interaction with people. So I wish you luck on your journey and I also wish you a great week. Let's talk soon. Bye my loves. Le Rendez-vous is brought to you by Doré. Doré's latest launch, La Micellaire, is a botanical micellar cleansing water that doesn't require rinsing. Minimize bathroom time and maximize outdoor time with our super simple routine. Use code PODCAST10 for 10% of your first order. Thank you for listening to Le Rendez-vous. If you want to know more about me, find out about my newsletter and my community. Find me on Instagram at Garance or at my website at garance.world. And well, if you'd like to find out how to spell that crazy name, just check out the show notes. Until next time, sending you love.